Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. Thanks for listening. In this episode, I talked to Simon Barrett of Cooperative Innovations about their VR party game, Space Team VR. Wait, where are you going? No, it's a good idea. No, we all know Space Team. Remember Space Team? A few years back, everyone was playing it on their phones, and then it kind of vanished because reasons. Well, it's back, only this time in, on VR. Stop, don't look at me like that. It's great. No, honestly, it's good. It it sounds like a disaster. It's not. It's awesome. Do listen on. Trust me. Trust me on this. When have I ever let you down? Eh? Right. So we listened to past me talking about this game from six weeks ago. Do that. Chris! Simon, who are you and what do you do? Hi, I'm Simon Barrett from Cooperative Innovations. Uh, So I'm one of the co-founders and my co-founder, Brian. Um, Been in games for 21 years. Programmer originally. Been coding for a long, long time. Uh, since I got my CPC 6128 back in the day when I was six years old and my mum taught me to code back then. Um, so yeah, I learned basic first of all and through to assembly in C++, joined the demo scene online very early and got to learn a lot of coding and meet a lot of people through that. And then since then started my own studio in 2005 called Ford All Lemon, which made a wide variety of different games, <clears throat> excuse me, for different genres. Um, and then 2016, we started Cooperative Innovations, focused on multi-user, innovative cooperation, and uh, led us to Space Team VR, which is uh, what we're talking about a little bit today. Wow, that's awesome! <laughs> Happens a lot on this show that I ask for the first question, you tell me what you do, and then you go plowing on answering the second question without knowing that I was going to ask it. How did you make your start making video games? My friend Simon, it happens so often because it Sorry. makes sense. You just know, do not apologise. Um, I was at one point when this kid happening, I thought that a lot of guests actually either had to get to questions beforehand or somehow saw me from behind my shoulder. Um, I'm not paranoid or anything like that. No, it makes sense um, that uh, it makes sense when you start talking about yourself, like what do you do? Like, How did I get to here? Well, and what a story. I mean, 6128, I do have one, it works. Um, although the even the floppy drive still works, I replaced the belt, but um, it uh, it has an M4 card on the back. I don't know if you know what that is, but basically it connects your Amstrad up to a Wi-Fi. Nice. And I can actually, and then it creates a website in the Amstrad, and you can actually remotely control the Amstrad with your phone. It's I've amazing. seen some uh, some demo scenes stuff still being done on, on Amstrad as well. Like they found some certain exploit of getting more color. Uh, resolution out of it and everything it's kind of amazing stuff being done it is amazing and uh, I did actually did a stream for a charity a couple of weeks ago for the National National Computing Museum in Cambridge 
And we raised about £4,000 overall, I think, something like that. It It was a lovely weekend. And I spent two hours playing Amstrad games from the past and present. Because uh, there's some games still being released to this day um, on the machine, and it was lovely doing that. Very cool. Yeah, it's lovely. So uh, it's good to hear you have some sort of heritage, understand? Uh, and and uh, so from going, I mean, you've seen a lot. We've all seen a lot, and there's something that's cropped up on this show. And I mean, you talk about the early 2000s. We've said it a lot on this show, and apologies for repeating myself, everyone. But that was a, a an epoch-making moment. People didn't realise at the time, but things were changing. Things were being put in place in any 2000s that we're still living with to this day. Yeah. Do you not agree? Yeah, I mean, you look back at, you know, PlayStation 1, um, you know, I, I used to run a PlayStation development site where we disassembled um, in the executables on PlayStation 1 to work out how the system worked because we weren't official developers. We were kind of homebrew trying to work out how these things worked. And actually, the website we hosted, we had more visitors from Sony domain names and IP addresses because actually all the documentation was in Japanese at the time. So a bunch of kids on the internet doing uh, homebrew reverse engineering was actually the best documentation you had on some of that stuff. So I think, yeah, I mean, you look at the console generation now, you know, PlayStation 5 approaching and in the next Xbox and everything else. Um, all of that stuff is from that and the techniques we used back then, you know, all relevant now in terms of mobile development and VR and everything else. So we were learning those things and sharing those things in the early online sort of, you know, forums and mailing lists and stuff. And you look at the top developers in the industry, they all come from those sort of areas. And yeah, I feel very lucky to be one of those people who was around at that time to be part of it, uh, a small part of it. Yeah. I was there covering it and uh, commentating on it and, uh, my first E3 was 2000. That yeah. was that was a major one. It really yeah. was because that's when the PlayStation 2 arrived. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just what? Yeah, that that was a big one. Uh, yeah. And uh, I didn't. I kept on going till about 2009 because I preferred packs and stuff mm-hmm. like that because it's more geared towards the people playing the games as well as making them. And there's yeah. a nice symbiosis between the two uh, audiences or people. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I started going to PAX instead. Um, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to cover that with you because you know you did fleeting charge your way through that very important. Yeah, year. I skipped and twenty-one years basically at that did, point. You, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's um, I've lost count of number of titles. I think it's over fifty titles in over the years. Some I'm less proud of than others, but um, yeah, it's developed a lot of stuff and uh, yeah. you know a lot of fun. Whether it's augmented reality through to Every single platform I think we developed for, and our engine we used to create ourselves as well. That was for 14 different platforms, I remember, at Ford or Lemon. So, you know, it's kind of a, a, a lot of stuff we've done in relatively short space of time, which feels like a few years. <laughs> mm, mm. Yeah, but like I said, I think uh, what a time to be alive as regards to games right now. It's quite, it's quite yeah. astonishing. But like I said, those early 2000, a lot of stuff happened. The MMOs came to being, thanks, well. So you can take yeah. a drink now. I mentioned well. <laughs> but you yeah. know we we can't ignore those things and then and there's the the iphone and ios can't ignore that and this whole smartphone explosion and also the indie games exploded on not so much pc because that was always there it was already already yeah. been in existence but we had steam arriving and then we had of course xbox indie arcade and then you know then that, that became a thing so, yeah, I mean, the MMO angle is quite interesting for us because, you know, EverQuest for me in 99, not Ruins of Kunark and that stuff, I spent some like six years of playtime in, in, in EverQuest over the years and, you know, multi-fixing different accounts and that stuff. And 
part of the um, you know, the premise that the belief behind cooperative relations is that people they multiply to any experience you have. You know, we can have great experiences in single player games, but you know, if we're together in a game, experiencing something together and having that moment, and people talk about Leroy Jenkins in WoW, I think. I remember me being quite drunk playing online with a lot of American uh, guildmates doing exactly the same thing years before, but it wasn't anywhere uh, near as well filmed or uh, well, orchestrated name-wise. But yes. yeah, it was still funny at the time and the memory, which you know, if I'd spoke to any of those people, I don't even see anymore now or speak to. But no, you know, no. it was a great moment because of that stuff. Me too, me too. Uh, the Leroy Jenkins was a bit. I love the fact that they actually scripted the whole thing. Yeah. You know, the whole, well, we got 0.33% chance of success. I remember playing raids and stuff like that. Thankfully, never had anyone like that in the yeah. team. They wouldn't yeah. have lasted two seconds. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm just doing probabilities. Get out! <laughs> this is a game. This is a game. If you start doing stuff like this, it becomes too close to work and we're done. Yes. Um, but uh, no, for me, personal highlight for Wales, I took down Nefarian when it was 40 man raids. Never forget that. Never yeah. forget that. Yeah. That was, that was an orchestration. But you're right. If you look at it objectively, look at the actual interaction, if you did that on your own, it would be as dull as dishwater. Yeah. yeah. The fact that you had 39 other like minded individuals, 39, <laughs> yeah. trying to coordinate all of this at the same time and go, we can do this. No, no, no. Don't, don't overheal. Don't overheal because I was the priest. <laughs> and you know, and it uh, it was an amazing, amazing thing. You're right, and it's I mean, related we, to what we're we talking had the about. PvP servers, and you know, trying to fight for the zones before you even got access to them and stuff. You know, and sort of fifty v fifty battle to get chance to fight an AI. Yeah, and you know, I don't think anything's really come that close again. You know, until no. recently with Fortnite and other battle royale and stuff, you didn't really have the numbers like that no. until recently. Um, and yeah, yeah I think it, it was quite impressive to think that there was that level of coordination. Um, of people online in the late 90s, the early 2000s happening. And yeah, it's a lot of fun and definitely built for me what I kind of saw as being a really interesting thing for whether VR or not. I think being with other people and that shared experience is definitely what really ticks everything I want to be experiencing again. Indeed. And well, just this completely related to what we're talking about, everyone. I mean, we're talking about multiplayer and that experience and what it makes, you know, how it makes it so different. And, you know, Space Team on your own is a futile exercise. It actually becomes quite dull. Uh, it's not It's not threes, everyone. That's a whole thing. That's a game that's made for you, just you and some patterns. It's not maths. Well, it is maths, but patterns. Anyway, <laughs> um, whereas it comes to... You can't play Space Team on your own, really. It's, you can do it, but it's not nearly as entertaining as yelling at your friend to, to flip the flibble gip. Um, <laughs> Three times, otherwise we're all going to die. But yeah. The meteor's going to hit us, uh, and um, you know, and it, it's it's uh, yes, it's a thing. Shared experience makes uh, even some of the most dull games uh, more, far far more entertaining. For example, finally, and then we we'll move on to the next question, which is the infamous nebulous question number three, um, is you know, uh, player unknowns um, battlegrounds. That game, you could you could play that for the first opening session would be thirty minutes of nothing happening. Yeah. Nothing. I mean, you'd be yelling at your partner, going, "There's movement." No, no, it's a bush. I told you, it's a bush. Or worse still, we're going for the crate. No, we're not. We are. We're going for the crate. We want that crate? <laughs> it's too close. I don't care. <laughs> you know, and that whole that that interaction, you remember more of that. Than yeah. Even if you got, you don't remember getting to the crate. All you remember is you yelling at each other. 
Yeah. So yes, all of those things, and this is what what you've made here. Only you put it in another place, and I'm going to delve into that. Well, we'll keep my powder dry for now. So the next question then, because you kind of skipped to the second, but that's cool. Is number three, and the infamous number three is, as a creator of things, and you could answer this as a co-op innovations or indeed yourself, Simon. I don't mind. What do you believe are your biggest influences? That's a good one. Um, I mean, I think generally it is, you know, we're talking about a lot of different games that you've played over the years and the experiences you've all had. Mm-hmm. I think it is everything you've experienced up to this point is always the thing which is, you know, makes up where you've got to today. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether it is the EverQuest and the WoWs and stuff we've enjoyed or whether it's the family games of Space Team and, you know, the fun of that kind of experience, I think you pull everything into anything you work on. Um, you see this pattern emerge where you hear about the same game coming out from two different companies at the same time. And it's just that thing of there's been some cultural thing, whether it's a TV show or a podcast or a book or some world event, and that's influenced people to think of that particular thing at a particular time. Or maybe it's a new technology which has emerged that's caused people to think about it. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a kind of cop-out answer in a way. Everything is is a, is an influence. Um you know, I'm a programmer originally at the start of it. So, I mean, obviously there's, there's, you know, very well-known programmers who are kind of influential in terms of what they've done and their approaches. But then there's more who are probably unknown, but they've, you know, they were the people I'd, I'd listen to and read their stuff when it was, you know, just text files you download of how to perform a particular technique years and years ago. And without that or without a particular book, I wouldn't have done those things. Um, one which I've been referencing a little bit recently was I, I've got a few books on my bookshelf still from the late nineties of how to build your own virtual reality, uh, kit sort of homebrew guides of how to build the hardware. Um, you know, so I think the influence there of, you know, one being able to afford those things with my pocket money, I was very lucky to do that. Didn't never actually built anything from it, but I bought a few VR headsets and was inspired by the technology from it back then. Um, I think those influences and that long term belief leading to, you know, sort of meeting Palmer and his co-founder ahead of Gamescom when when they were doing the Kickstarter way back when. And that kind of tied into where we are today. Um, but I think VR has always been a passion and, you know, the future of those things. And, you know, even augmented reality. We did three augmented reality games at Ford or Lemon for the PlayStation Vita. Um, so all of it's kind of been on a path to where we are. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm just thankful for all the other games and experiences and all the teams I've worked with and, that's kind of led to where we are, and uh, yeah, it's it's good fun. Yeah, uh, we've you're not the first VR developer we've had on the show. I'm very happy to say. Um, I think it's a, a natural evolution of things. Mm-hmm. Um, it is when I when I first experienced it, I didn't actually experience it until I actually played it at home because I had issues with going to shows. I was had to at PAX twelve, PAX twelve, I think it was, where they uh, they had the pink eye incident. Ah. <laughs> Yeah. So I ever since I saw that, I was like, yeah, no, it's not going to do it. It was not rational. I get that. Later on, I managed to relax a bit, but even still, it's still a bit off. But uh, no, I just felt, well, I couldn't believe it. Thankfully, I didn't suffer from any nausea or anything like that, uh, which I'm, you know, not, not everyone can boast that. Uh, I even play Wipeout, the version of Wipeout. It's like, great, that's fine. I can look around and still fly around and I'm not feeling particularly problematic. Um, but it's just a feeling of, it's just you and the screen. Mm-hmm. Or you, the world. What I love doing is looking behind me. Even yeah. like, it doesn't matter what sort of platform. I mean, yes, Quest, that really encourages you to do that. 
Um, but with regards to PSVR, less so. But there is still stuff going on behind you, and it's just yeah. nice to be able to go. What's that? Oh yeah, it's over there. And um, it's 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 really lovely. And I mean, Astrobot does a fantastic job of that. That's one of my favourite VR games. It's not the most immersive, I grant you, but it does does things that are so imaginative. Yeah. Uh, that uh, it should be um, applauded for its efforts. So. Yeah, it's a tricky little platform as well. But yeah, the uh, PAX is interesting, and we, we were at the last ever physical games event, as it will probably become known, which was me and Alex from our team. We were demoing Space Team at PAX East. Yes. Uh, we were part of the Omegathon uh, of that as well, which is very exciting. But, yeah, you sort, we sort of knew going into it, obviously, coronavirus was around. But in hindsight, you sort of look at it and think, wow, that was crazy that mm. you know, there was that many people there. And obviously, we're wiping down headsets even more than we usually would. Yeah. Uh, and you had a few people in uh, PPE even then. Um, but, yeah, looking back on it now, it's kind of it's crazy. crazy, isn't it? It was only three, four months ago now. Yeah, I know. I, I was there too, and it's just when you think about it, they were doing everything they can. But even still, it's like, I really am not comfortable getting this. You know, the worst, the more more news reports came in, the worse it got. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. yes. Okay. Well, that's a good response. You know, just actually, it's, the collective experience and also be putting yourself in someone else's world that's been created. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a laudable thing to be influenced by. Yeah. I'd say, I wouldn't say there's one consistent thing that we've always produced. It's always been, you know, it's varied, not just for business reasons or anything else, but from a design point of view, it's just something that, yeah, I think I'd always want to be playing it myself. I don't think I've ever worked on anything I wouldn't want to play and enjoy. Um, and, you know, obviously sometimes you wish you had a bigger budget or, you know, you had a um, whatever it would be, the, the IP maybe to go with it to boost it from a marketing or business point of view of that sort of hat on. But certainly from a design and technical point of view, I think I've always enjoyed the different approaches we've taken and the, and the things we've produced. So, yeah, it's, it's partly learning and it's partly just pushing your own boundaries and, and skills and everything else. Mm. Next question. This one is it's also quite difficult to some some developers to answer or guests as I say to answer but I think it's an important one mm-hmm. otherwise I wouldn't put it in what developer do you most admire in the industry and why oh that is tough <laughs> I've never actually thought about that um, what have you said you know you doing the thing please, please yeah. continue doing the thing yeah yeah <laughs> I mean I'm I'm very lucky that I've always, you know, gotten to meet. It's such a small industry, like really, you get to meet everyone that oh, no, made, made. <laughs> exactly. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's who I don't name now is the problem, isn't it? Exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I won't list more than one person, otherwise I potentially offend friends. Indeed, and, uh, that's the that's the main reason why people find it hard. Not because they haven't got someone. It's just yeah. They don't want to leave anyone out. Yeah, I think I'll 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 slightly sidestep it by saying that my ultimate goal, I think, is, is developer, you know, and. and 21 years somehow, you know, so far, is basically I want to not have to ask for permission to produce something. That's kind of my goal. Um, you know, you sort of look at the financial side of it or whatever, and ultimately you do need to ask permission still as we are now. We can't afford to fully fund every single project you want to make for the next 10, 15, 20 years or however long we're lucky to do this. Um, and so I think it would be someone who is able to do that so obviously you think of Epic and the amount of money they've got, but I don't know if Tim is actually someone who would be the one driving the, the mm. game products to get to make. I think he's very interested in the 
metaverse and the technical aspects of what they produce. And that's a passion for him that he's probably got a roadmap for at least a vision of what he wants to be doing. So that's probably not the answer because he's not producing technically the games or the ideas himself there. Um, there's a lot of indie friends who I think I consider in that well off enough that they can produce what they want now and they've got projects coming to them. Uh, and you can probably think of the people that they'd be themselves anyway. Um, yeah, that's a really good question because, I mean, there's definitely people who produce just the design they want to and they seem to magic whatever budget and team they need to be able to do it and it kind of just works. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a super fan of any one particular developer or uh, platform holder, so I probably don't it's have just, a good it's answer. The, it's those that are self-sufficient, who have made their mark, who've somehow, you know, made something that people have gravitated towards and yeah. like, I don't know, Hollow Knight or something like that. Go, yeah, that's that. Look at yeah. that. Yeah. That, that game, look, I mean, that's a game that you think, oh, it's just a nice little straightforward platform. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. And that's and the ability to execute on a vision, I think. Yeah. You know, and, and they've got that there and they've, they've managed to work out the budget and get the team working together and, you know, get the right personalities and the skills and mm. things have just clicked. And, you know, a, you know, you feel like you do bits of that occasion on different projects. Certain things will click. Other things won't. And that's just development and that's just life and everything else. Um, you know, and as we're seeing currently, like the more important things do get in the way and have to get in the way because that is, you know, we're making games at the end of the day, which do provide a lot of entertainment, but are everything. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's the people who are able to do that. Those are a big group of people I consider um, that are, are definitely people I look up to and hope sometimes that we're part of, but maybe not all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's the goal, yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. And it's a wonderful response. And, I mean, you sort of mentioning programming, and I don't know why I'm sharing this. It just immediately sprang to mind. It's like, I actually played Quake the other day. Wow. The, thinking of the hardware that was, thing it was running on, how? How did they do that? Yeah. Uh, if you think about it. And that's probably a good example. You know, ID or ID. They, yeah. they, they are and were, are. Yeah, because the latest Doom is still very entertaining. Uh, and uh, yeah, fair play to them. There's another developer, the end of the decades. Yeah, do that kind of thing. They just sort of the story came out the other day again, the, the Tim Sweeney thing, where he basically quit programming for six months um, after he played. I think it was Doom at the time. Uh, he just said, oh, "I can't compete with that," and so he went yeah. away. Obviously, tried to work out how John had approached it and everything else, and you know that it was those techniques which there was a few people sharing those things back then, and in the sort of demo scene days and everything else, and. Yeah, it just required that different thinking and approaches to it. And obviously, it's well covered in, in books and stuff now. But at the time, it was kind of people just trying their own different approaches and hacks yeah. and whether it was people producing their own hardware replicas of the Nintendo approach so that you could then debug it differently or try different things or look at what the actual hardware is doing. Because obviously, back then, if you knew hardware, you could probably learn more about a system because it was simpler. Whereas nowadays, obviously, they're very complex machines, which you can understand some of it, but some of this stuff is, is completely confidential until you get to experiment with it over a year or two, which is why you see that whole thing of since PlayStation 2 days, it takes a while for the really the hardware to be pushed to the nth degree. Mm. Oh, yes, yes. The, the, the infamous latter years of uh, console generations, always, always fascinating. Yeah. Um, uh, so... Excellent response, and yeah, really, really valid points on, on who's, who's, who's to admire. Well, just those people doing the, you know, carving a, their own furrow. Also, also. Yeah. Yeah. Last question in the first half. 
It is. And there's something I've got to ask because we're on a podcast about video games, so I've got to ask this question. What are you playing right now? Ah, so I'm playing Outer Worlds right now, which is good fun. Outer Worlds. Uh, Just to be clear, not Outer Worlds. Outer Worlds. Yes. Outer Worlds is probably next. I'm just going to go through anything about it at the start of it and and do that. Just to be clear, everyone, you said Worlds, not Wilds. You all know how frothing at the mouth I am about Wilds, so please... Okay, I won't, I, won't, I won't ask any questions because I don't want to spoil that thing to myself. Yeah, but yeah, um, uttering anything about Outer Worlds other than how amazing it is is yeah. you know is, is a spoiler. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, um, worlds I haven't delved into. I must confess, I got distracted by some Stellaris stuff that came through because um, that's a game that keeps on giving. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, how are you finding Outer Worlds? What, what's really, really good, Outer and Worlds? beautiful. Yeah. And there's a lot of story in it. So one of our team said he was not as keen on the, the huge amount of narrative in there, but um, I'm really enjoying that. I think I've not played something with as much dialogue for a little while. Um, so yeah, really enjoying that. I normally have like ten different things on the go at once, so. Um, what else are we playing? Um, I'm playing a bit more mobile stuff. I think since Apple Arcade came out, I've certainly delved back into mobile gaming a lot more. Yes. Um, so I tend to talk two different games a night. It's like drop in for 10, 15 minutes. Um, I'm still working, working through the BAFTA sort of games awards backlog, uh, of, of okay. sort of content you get from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, That's good. Which is always good. Um, what else did I download the other day? Um, Chariot was quite a good one. So I play a lot of co-op games with my daughter. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Chariot before, but it's a nice. Yeah, well, we've had single... them on the show. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's yeah. Beautifully made, beautiful game yeah. where you, you're dragging this coffin around and uh, it's it's a bit messed up, but it's a lovely, beautiful game. Uh, not enough yeah. people, you know, talked about it at the time it's released. I think it got shrouded by other things. Probably, I think like a, a, a Souls game, game came out at the same time and that kind of thing. and those always kind of take over the dialogue a little bit too much, in my humble opinion. Yeah. Um, so it's just the nature of things, isn't it? But yeah. Yeah, no, I think I mean there are some great ones I've got in the Steam library, sort of tagged as this looks interesting, and unfortunately, timing-wise, if it doesn't hit right, as you say, uh, it won't get the audience it probably deserves. Mm. Um, so yeah, enjoying that. Um, I think what else? Yeah, lots of different stuff. I've always got installed everywhere. I've set up a new PC, so um, I've probably got another terabyte of uh, SSD and that to try and install everything and give everything a 20-minute go before I decide what I'm going to play for a few more hours. Nice. Um, yeah. I think I tend, I tend to nowadays just play buy everything, play for about half an hour. If it's got something interesting deeper, I'll play for a bit longer. And if it's way more deep than that in terms of a four or five-hour commitment, then I tend to have to watch a video and then decide... Whether or not I need to look at it myself from a yeah. design and technical learning point of view, I guess, which okay. is a boring kind of analytical answer. I do play Outer Worlds for the enjoyment rather than the technical uh, approach, or whatever. It's, right. But yeah, I think sometimes I have different lenses on when I'm looking at stuff. I think, um, and I have to switch off sometimes just to enjoy things for the sake of enjoying. I can completely relate to that. <laughs> yes, uh, absolutely. Um, especially in the show and also uh, working with the uh, rest of Kane and Rince. There are times when you go, can't you just let go? Just yeah. Enjoy it. Yeah, but yeah, but that's really broken that they could have done. Just <laughs> fine, fine. Yeah. Uh, and you know, when you do get lost in the world, and especially when I found that Outer Wilds for me was my, Christmas game from last year. That was my game over that holiday period, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm happy to say, and uh, that was a game I completely lost myself in. The year prior to that, there was Dragon Quest Eleven, and prior to that, there was 
Horizon Zero Dawns, all yeah. really world-spanning yeah. games that you yeah. just delve into. Uh, uh, Dragon Quest Eleven, towards the end of it, it was playing itself. I'd mean maxed everything for, because by accident, maybe or design, I don't know. And it got to the point where it's like, I'll just make a cup of tea now until you finish fighting. I'm certainly very powerful in Outer Worlds right now. I feel like I've I've picked up something, luckily, random number generator wise. But yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's. I mean, I I love Horizon Zero Dawn as well. I should yeah. say, obviously, VR wise, they're playing pretty much everything on there at the moment, um, okay. quest wise. Um, I, I need to get into Doom VFR because I never actually played it at the time I bought it, and then didn't get to try it. Yeah, it's on my pile of shame as uh, well. So I need to go. I, yeah, I, I, it's basically Beat Saber at the moment and the the uh, Star Wars stuff because that's just bonkers. Uh, so well done. move on to the second half of the show. I survived the first half. You did. <laughs> well done. Um, it's like a mini-boss now. Uh, in fact, this definitely is a mini-boss, actually, this first question in the second half. Oh, dear. Because <laughs> the thing about what I do very stress uh, a lot in this show is that we can't talk about a thing until we know what the thing is. So, in your own words, Simon, what is Space Team VR? Absolutely. So um, we have a different answer depending on whether people know what Space Team is to start with. So obviously, um, Space Team was the ultimate couch co-op game uh, created by Henry Smith, um, brilliant solo developer. We produced that game in 2012. Uh, so yeah, we refer to it as a couch co-op game, the original mobile game. We licensed that a few years back, uh, and we've created a shout 'em up, uh, which is where you're on a spaceship which is falling apart around you. Uh, and you're working together with up to five other people, and you're shouting technobabble instructions at other, each other, which may be for you or maybe for the other person to control and press while aliens are popping up, while you're putting fires out and bashing stuff with hammers to fix it. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of fun, very cooperative, very shouty, very chaotic, uh, and a lot of fun and completely random. <laughs> yeah. So, trying to imagine Star Trek bridge crew, everyone. Okay, you got Benny Head. You probably know what it's like. It's all very po-faced. We're very serious, although not when I play it. I'm generally, I'm generally heckling the captain because that's what you do. It's like, what are you going there for? That's what yeah. normally happens in that. Take that and then take all the po-face stuff away and all, and then just insert extra techno babble with somehow actors of Star Trek over decades have been saying with a straight face. And yeah. then, um, just, to, then, then just crank it up to silly. Yeah. Give yourself, you know, a ray gun maybe and a mop. Oh, not a mop, sorry, a um, hammer. Apologies. I call it a mop because it feels like one when you're fixing things. And um, and also a fire extinguisher as well, which you can fire at your friends. 
Yeah. Uh, in, for no reason. Uh, you're not actually cleaning anything. You're, not, you're just doing it. Uh, <laughs> and um, put, and then, you know, have it so that you have to work together for a as common a goal. Uh, as yeah. a space team. Yeah. And um, that's, and it, you, you, you have over many levels and you just keep going until you can't. It's inevitable that you're going to fail, which some people find a bit galling, but that's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about, now I play a lot of board games, a lot of tabletop games and a lot of cooperative games. And one of my, one of my, um, uh, least favorite experiences I had was a game on called um, well it's a, it, it's um, Cthulhu Horror I think it I seem to remember and uh, basically it was it's called Cthulhu game and it's a cooperative game one player one player did what they call in tabletop land of board games quarterbacking okay. quarterbacking is where you have one player dominating everyone else and telling them what to do and saying they should be doing this, and you do that, and you do that. And basically, they're playing on their own, but they're using yeah. everyone else as some sort of slave drone thing. Now, with any co-op game, this can happen. You and I both will be experienced it, especially in raids and, and, and MMOs. It's always that one guy. Or <laughs> uh, woman, sorry. Could be person, sorry. Um, uh, and uh, so basically, what I'm trying to say is trust in other players' ability and to follow commands as the centrepiece of Space Team. To a point, what do you believe you've done in Space Team VR to prevent that quarterbacking from occurring? What do you think you've done in the design? Yes, I think the you're right, there is the potential for that to happen sometimes, but I think generally game-wise, you can actually win most rounds, or sectors rather, as you call them, early on, without the need for 100% cooperation. So if there is someone who's acting less in a team-like fashion, uh, whether that's in a negative sort of uh, trolling way or messing around or they're distracted or their headset's fallen off or the cats has run into them or whatever, th- it's still okay to get through those early sectors. And so from a game point of view, I think the balance we've achieved, at least on those early sectors, allows you to still have that kind of uh, cooperation going regardless. Um, one of the team did suggest the other day that you might want a mute option on your Reagan uh, to shoot some people sometimes, uh, which could be, again, seen as more of a trolling thing rather than a thing intended for good purposes. Um, but to be honest, I think people just get into the fact that, you know, they've got these instructions, they are working together. And when it's your instruction of that countdown timer above you on the monitor, you do want people to be performing it and you want to be the one achieving it. So we do things like you've got your award in there. So we we say if you've listened to more um instructions that that turn than anyone else if you've failed many you've obviously got the negative impacts of the fires and the tools breaking if you don't perform things as a team together um and one thing that henry said to us certainly when we were working on development wise was did you either fail uh, or, or succeed as a team that's the whole thing and so that person you know whether it's a social pressure will will leave and not behave like that um or you just start the other game without them i guess which is the other alternative um so far, we've not had any experiences like that. It's, it generally feels like people just get into it and 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 have a great time. 
Um, certainly people come up with more tactics as they're getting more advanced through space team, whether it's, you know, everyone shouts out what they've got during the sector start and they can try and shortcut things or abbreviate things and work out what the symbols mean and all that kind of stuff. Um, so you certainly can tell the pros uh, from the more amateur players of space team, uh, especially when they've come from the mobile game or the card game. Originally, we saw that at PAX East. You'd have people show up and blast through 10 sectors when other people would struggle past the first three or four. Um, and that was really nice to see that it kind of we got that transition from one to the other, even though obviously we added the, the physical aspects of grabbing stuff and hammering stuff and pressing the buttons, pulling levers, all that kind of physical fun. You still translated the base core game, which we know worked so well in, in mobile. So you've hinted at this already, uh, and... Um... I just want to talk a bit about the presentation of Space Team VR because the original was, it was just a control console. That's all you had. You didn't know what was going on outside the control console. You just stared at the console. Whereas in Space Team VR, it's not just the console. It's your crewmates all around you. And I just noticed that the art style that you developed seems to be sort of embracing the silliness of it it's quite mm-hmm. the, there's a lot of like why is that a slider and why is that a button and why have they got a turnip on their head what's that about you know and what 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 what's so the whole the, the whole thing the whole thing is present presented in a way you could have gone full-on like sci-fi but you didn't yeah and i just want to know why did you tell i know why i think i know the answer question, but i think simon you, you tell us well why do you think space team vr is so just Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, so our core pillars, you know, in terms of the fun, the chaos, and, and the craziness of the whole thing was a key part. And I think, you know, speaking to Henry originally, a lot of the influences of the silliness of the techno babble was Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and, you know, taking the mick out of the, the early Star Treks and, and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, another one was Galaxy Quest. We sort of looked at some of the, st- of the stuff going on there as well. And, you know, the, the influences of that 60s and 70s approach, Spaceball, sorry, was another one uh, which came up in the sort of early discussions. So you've got that sort of beige look to the whole thing. You've got the 60s and 70s style of the characters. You've got the, you know, even the bit of sort of the Black Mirror um, Star Trek episode, you know, that kind of uh, slightly tongue-in-cheek, although very dark uh, behind the whole thing. You know, all of that kind of different view um, of what that sci-fi is and then making it silly for the sake of it. You know, when you have the debris pop out, obviously there's a few little nods to things with the whales popping up and uh, other things that occur debris-wise and stuff. And uh, I think the silliness just comes through with that. And hopefully people do ask the, the questions as to why is that happening. I don't know if anyone's spotted yet when, you, when you've got a button which says debris on it, debris comes out. And when you press enable ship wiper, there's actually a wiper on the side of the ship wiping one of the windows. Um, and so we do have quite a few things which we've, not unlocked yet. You know, there's randomly a basketball hoop in there with basketballs, uh, and you can play a bit of a game between sectors if you want. Uh, it's just a, a lot of fun of, you know, what would you do within this space, uh, which expands it from that mobile single panel, as you say, into being this full world that you inhabit uh, yeah. to these other people. Love, I love the influences, little nods, the bit about Star Galactica stuff, the old original 70s, you know, but, you know um, Buck Rogers definitely is there. Not silent running, just to be clear. No, yeah. no, yeah. you can't, can't, can't make jokes about that film. That's a, <laughs> sorry, Simon, but no, no, 
Don't do that. Very protective, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it's not so much protective. It's that it goes places that you... <laughs> it's not, no. Uh, but other than that, uh, it's... it's it, no, it's, it's an or Dune. That's not there either. Although I don't remember large worms. There might be one, but I don't know. Um, but, uh, I think we considered one, but it was out of the art budget. So I think that's the, maybe a future <laughs> update uh, coming in. Expansion yeah. later on, DLC coming soon. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I just wanted to, to expand on that and the presentation is really important and how you it helps and it feeds into the first question about reducing tension between players because there's yeah. some levity there yeah and it's oh. just a tight in some yeah. ways as well you know pe- people are there together in a space and you know you're, you're either there waiting for other people to, to come in and you've got the ray gun and you see people just messing around and playing shooting games and dueling uh, with the ray guns or the throwing hammers at each other and trying to hit the robots on the head or they shoot the robot and the robot starts ducking and crying and it waves at you if you wave at them and all that kind of stuff and you know the robots themselves the ais we have in the background which put the fires out and do random stuff around the ship it's all in that silliness kind of vibe one of the robots sometimes just turns to pretend to be a zombie and the other one looks scared at it you know like the, the animator chris did a brilliant job on that kind of stuff just extra silliness, which sort of ties in, and there's more of that to come in the future as well from the, yeah. from the game. It's it's up there with Red Dwarf, you know. Like, um, let's go to Red Alert. And go, Are you sure? Why? We have to change the bulb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that's really that's where you came from. That's the humour. Is like to change the bulb. Okay, fine. So I want to ask about the interface. Your your main focus of attention which in space team was 100 percent, but in in space team original in space team vr it's probably about 60 70 percent of your attention i have mm-hmm. found is the console before you yeah and um what i found is what i found really interesting is that it when it starts to break down because you made a mess up because oh no i shouldn't have slid that up it's exploding and i just want to ask the window of opportunity to have to repair it is quite small I want to ask why? Why did you do that? Why have you? Why did you add that little bit of like? I know I can fix this, but I haven't got time because if I try and fix this, it's going to take too long. Because by the time I finish fixing it, the the ship would have blown up potentially. Um, what? Did, how did you? I mean, did you draw it from the original, or was that? How did you? I found it quite an interesting little thing that mm. I found it a little bit sort of like, ah, oh, I just need to fix it. Like, don't stop fixing. Because people yell at me like. What are you fixing? It's got a, it's exploding in my face. You know, it was on the brink of going You're two-handed fixing, because we certainly see that on the team, we'll have someone will keep the hammer in the hand permanently, and as yeah. soon as it goes wrong, they're smashing it while they're still following stuff and pressing <laughs> They just naturally hammer everything. Like during practice, we had a guy who had the sponge constantly, which is used for wiping the goop off from the slimers, right. and was just wiping and cleaning his console between sectors, like keeping his house in order. Um, it's incredible. You know, so have a lot of fun role-playing almost within it as well. Yeah, um, on, on the repairs, I mean, you know, if you, look at, you think of the original mobile game and reattaching the panels when they they come off. Obviously, yes. um, they were still functional actually with those buttons when they when they spin around. If you remember, um, yes. so in effect, you didn't have as much of a penalty as we do because when I was breaker or on fire, and actually there was a bug during beta testing which the testers found at Oculus that you could hammer something while it was on fire and press it, <laughs> uh, which was obviously a bug, because uh, we intended that you put the fire out and then you fix it to yes, use it. Yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, I think it, the balance, it, it, we're fairly happy with it right now on that. I would say that some sectors later on can be a bit more challenging when you get some of the anomalies like the, the shock or the slime or the UFOs flying around and blowing things up. 
those become those harder bits where you do have a choice of do I complete that instruction or do I let it go and fix things knowing that I'll recover? And as I said before, I think later sectors, because of the speed of the supernova behind you um, and the countdown of the instructions getting less, will punish you a bit more there. I think we've still got a little bit of tweaking to do around sort of sector 12, 13, for instance, on medium. We're thinking there might be an issue there we need to resolve. So we implemented a system where we can live update the JSON files that the servers use so we can constantly tweak this stuff. And we're, we're now sort of two weeks in, we're sort of looking at those stats and thinking, right, what would we do next? Do we enable the, the oil, for instance, which isn't in there right now, but some, could be something we start to put in soon where the randomly panels start leaking oil, which is a bit of a nod to the original again. Uh, so, yeah, we're... we're um, yeah, I'd say we're still experimenting that balance and something we're excited about is the ability to change it almost weekly for people to say, right, how do you get on with this? Where, you know, what is the challenge? Is it that there's slimes pop up on every single sector and you're always shooting stuff, uh, versus the normal balance, which is a bit more different or it's the different vowels dropping out and other things that you might have seen. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. It's lovely the expansion on the original. It's really really fun, and I just really found it like the the need to like mon- like maintain your own desk, you know, tidy your desk. Look at the state of it. You know, the amount of times you look up and someone's desk is practically on fire. Like, yeah. what are you doing? So, it's wor- <laughs> the response I would always get was working in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get over yourself. You know, it's like barely, barely. But, it's yeah. the people who deliberately set their console on fire just to give them more to do in early sectors. <laughs> That's when you're pro level, I think. You know, it's like I'm not even going to press that button; it's just going to be on fire the entire time. Yeah, and I'm just going to press this one. You know, it's it's, it's like seen from an IT crowd, like oh, yeah. it's on fire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I couldn't help but make these references because they they're, they're they're riddled. The Space Team yeah. VR is riddled with pop references, which is great. Yeah. Last question, Simon. I know. Oh. Good things. Let's that was too quick. Uh, well, yeah. Space Team VR is about people working together to fathom out things that nobody really understands. How have you found designing each scenario, because there are levels and scenarios everybody goes through for each one, to ensure players remain engaged whilst not being too overwhelmed? What have you done? How have you found balancing those two things? Um, difficult. I'm not sure if we're 100% there yet. So that's that's one thing I'd say where we do have, due to the random number generator system, we have so we have things in there like so for the anomalies, for instance. So you might have like UFOs, as I mentioned before. You might have uh, the electric pulses which go off and blow it in consoles. We can set in our system. We don't want both of these to occur at the same time, uh, or even in the same sector. And so that when the random number generator says, I'm going to produce one of these and one of these and this set of controls, we can balance up those a little bit because obviously from a a tweaking and a balance point of view, we have to deal with two players up to six players, uh, as well as all the different sectors, as well as three difficulty modes on top. Um, And then local with devices or face-to-face players, we call it in the game, is another set of those again, as is the training mode with the single player of the two robots. So we've kind of had to... We've, we've got an overall balance of we want the time pressure to go up, which is kind of behind the scenes of the, the supernova catching your ship up, how much you drop down by or catch up by when you achieve something, and the separate instructions, how long they take to do and when those countdowns occur. That's kind of the basis of most of the difficulty, and that does a lot of the work for us. Then, then the sort of nuance comes into those anomaly pieces of 
what level of slimes is it the ones that there's five of them at once and they take 10 shots to kill or is it one of them which pops up and it just does a little bit then vanishes and those kind of balances are the ones where we're still i'd say work on those a little bit um but people you know we're seeing sort of two and a half hour game sessions of five people in there last night one of the american team and you know we're seeing a lot of great engagement and people just have the fun of the randomness because you know, we know the anomalies are all fun. We know they're all interesting challenge. Um, the only tricky bit we get with experienced teams is if they're playing like easy mode, then they may have a first few sectors where they just want to get through a few sectors for about a minute. But once they're into that randomness factor, then it's just pure fun for them. Um, one spoiler right now is that beyond sector 20, I think we are, maybe 22, um, it's completely random. Uh, so if anyone gets that far... Um, it's purely down to the random number generator in terms of which anomalies, which mix, what can happen. Um, I think 18, I think, is currently our top one on, on medium. Um, so no one's quite broken that yet, but we may be tweaking things a bit more as we unlock new anomalies and new controls and uh, further balancing stuff soon. So that's the fun of a, a live game, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And I just wanted to, to talk about that because that's that's one thing when you're do, making games like Space Team VR similar. It's the um, it's the, the, the horrible situation where um, you become overwhelmed and you realise that actually no human being could possibly cope with all of this thrown at them at such a rapid rate, really, unless they're a, a, a like a, a savant at the yeah. game, uh, yeah. and it's just not really. You know, it goes into the, into the realms of the dreaded. It's not fair, mm-hmm. and that no one likes that in video games. Generally, um, it depends on the game, I guess. But uh, most of the time, it's not the place you want to be. No, I think you've, you've you've got it almost, but there are times when like really, yeah, <laughs> you reach a point like, oh come on. Yeah, I think seeing this factor works in our in our in our in our, um, in our side at that point because you know, the silliness kind of makes you think, well, it was quite amusing how it failed and blew up or whatever. Anyway, but, I mean, the ultimate thing we're aiming for is when you have that moment where you're almost at the top of the sector, you almost yes. achieved it, and it's catching up with you, and you keep almost dipping into the supernova. And then someone manages to just pull out the bag, pressing the thing at the right time. Like whether they accidentally did it or not, or they guessed it, who knows? But it, they pressed it and it worked, and you passed that sector, having almost been dead the entire time, yeah. like a whole minute of stress. Yeah. <laughs> that that ultimate relief and celebration thing is the thing which we live for when we're watching, you know, people enjoying it and having those moments. And then the next sector, invariably, you know, a little bit of tweaking from our side, but also a little bit of the random number generator, tends to be a fairly chilled one where you get to enjoy what just happened and get through, and then you get to get those sort of natural um, peaks and troughs of the experience, which, yeah, it's, it's part of design where we'll take a little bit of credit and the team will take some credit for that, but it's also just the, the, the beauty of the game and what we can do with the, the balance of it, really. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Space Team VR by... Co-op Innovations. By the way, the name of the company, where did that come from? We love asking that on this show. Yes, I mean, versus the previous studios that I worked for, Pineapple Interactive and Ford or Lemon, uh, mm. we went away from the fruit theme and we were very practical and, yeah, it was built around cooperating together, multi-user uh, and innovative in terms of we're looking at new tech to use, whether that's VR, AR or interesting technologies and platforms behind it. So, yeah, very, very boring in some ways, but it does, it does what it says on the tin. Yeah, it's, yeah. a, it's a great name. I mean, it definitely wasn't one spat out from the uh, 12 points in a pub. Like, oh, no, yellow pig. All right, we'll go with that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Fun eleven was the, was the one that was definitely that with the joke book, and uh, we forgot what the joke was. But that that became people didn't forget the name of it, I guess, which is a good no, thing. No, no, uh, a good thing. So yes, uh, Space Team VR by Co-op Innovations is out now uh, on Oculus Rift Quest, which is what I played it on, and Vive, I believe. Um, all Steam and, headsets, yeah. Yeah, all Steam headsets, and uh, you. It's also kind of, well, not kind of. It is. There's a there's a version of it, a local play with uh, tablets and stuff. Is there not? Yeah. So we didn't even mention that in the show, but you can actually play it with someone on the VR and everyone else working together with the person, the other person in VR, locally yeah. with iOS and Android. Is that right? Yeah. So it's been really popular that. So it's a web app which you play along with a VR player. So some yeah. people, where they've got one headset or two headsets in the house, and then the rest of the family, wherever they don't want to be in a VR headset or they just don't have those devices. And with COVID, we've seen actually people streaming over the internet, the voice, and actually playing it remote mobile with VR, which is even more cool to see. Yeah, uh, yeah that's amazing. So. Uh, and it's also headed to PSVR, is that right, eventually? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No confirmed date on that yet, but soon it'll be on there, cross-play between other platforms as well. Fantastic. Even better. Well, Simon, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Um, Thank you for having me. Um, I hope you got something out of it. I know I did. Um, and uh, you're more than welcome to come back because we've Absolutely. had many, many return guests. I'm happy to say because this show's been going for quite a while. And uh, normally five years later, go. I've made a new thing. Really? Yes. It meant to take two years, but it took five. But <laughs> I've made a new thing. And uh, we talk about that. But the the bonus is you don't answer the first questions because we've done that already. <laughs> <laughs> So, again, Simon, thanks very much for being on the show. Thank you. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended, and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and at our website, caneandrinse.com. <laughs>